Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Okay, guys, so um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today is special. It's our 100th episode. Um, and, and my producer, Abigail, said she wanted to surprise me. Um, so she took me into the studio, and I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. So, Hillary, there's somebody that I, I want to uh, introduce you to. Hi, Oma. Hi. This is my microphone. Oh, boy. Well, Oma, can you introduce yourself to me and tell me your name? I think it's Ruth Gill. Do you know how old you are? In 1922. <laughs> so this is my grandma, and we call her Oma because that's the German word for grandmother. Ah. And I went to visit her a few weeks ago when I was home in St. Louis for a wedding. She lives in, like, a nursing home, and I'll tell you that Ruth has what I would call a nursing home sense of humor, so I'll, I'll show you what I mean. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh, here's lunch. How does, how does it look? Looks like they're trying to fat me up for the kill. <laughs> so uh, she said it looks like they're trying to fatten her up for the kill. <laughs> Very nice. That's what I mean by a nursing home sense of humor. Um, but I went to visit Oma on a little, kind of like a little mission of sorts, and uh, I wanted to gather a little advice. So, Oma, I'm, I'm doing a story, and it's about people who live to 100. Do you want to live to 100? Not really. <laughs> Do you have any advice about living for a long time? Boy, you better mind your manners and get up early and don't miss breakfast. I am not gonna. I'm not gonna live long. I, I don't. I don't really mind my manners. <laughs> I've got a potty mouth when I'm when I'm not doing the radio show, and I don't get up early if I don't have to, <laughs> and I sometimes miss breakfast. <laughs> Well, Hillary, I think uh, I think we should introduce ourselves. Let's do it. All right. Well, I'm Abigail Keel. I'm Hillary Frank. This is the longest, shortest time, and I guess you're taking over the show today. I sure am because today is our 100th episode. Yay! <laughs> well played. Thank you. Thank you. And how does it feel? 
100. I mean, I feel old. <laughs> not, not, not that old. <laughs> I mean, I'm not 100. Not in comparison. But to have done 100 episodes in, um, in, in the short span that podcasting has been around, it feels like a lot. Yeah. Okay, so today on the show, we are celebrating our 100th episode, and we're going to see what we can learn from some people who've had a century of life. So I know I haven't been around for all 100 episodes of The Longer Shortest Time, but when I saw on our calendar a while ago, like, up in the horizon, the big 100, I was like, oh man, we gotta do something special. So I said, I was like, hey, let's do something with 100-year-olds. And I said that to you, and you were like, great, go find some 100-year-olds. And so this is the first time that you're hearing any of this tape, that you're meeting any of these people. And yeah, you've been kept in the dark. That's right. And I and I love it. I'm so excited to hear this tape. Great. Okay, so Hillary, so I wanted to go out and talk to some 100-year-olds, but they are few and far between. Uh, actually, they're only two hundredths of a percent of the population. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not very much. No. So uh, naturally, I needed some help finding them, and I asked our listeners to connect me with some. And actually, a lot of people came through, so thank you to those people. Uh, But to beef things up uh, for this episode, I also chatted with some people who aren't quite 100, like my Oma, but who still have that wisdom that comes in old age. So one of the things I did was I asked all these people for their advice, like I did my Oma. I asked them for their advice about living a long life or living to 100. So I want to just play you a little montage of some of the things that they said. Do you have any secrets about making it to 100 years old? Any advice for for living to 100? Well, somebody asked me that last one week, and I told them, don't die. Well, I never smoked. I never drank to any excess. Whatever I did was in was uh, in moderation. I always tried to make the best of whatever happened. And I always had a sense of humor. <laughs> always liked to laugh and, and always felt like the glass was half full, never half empty. Live life as I come, day by day. Just lucky to get there. If you, if you could have a superpower, what would you choose? Be a woman chaser. Why? Why? What's both made of? Sex. <laughs> I just had to throw that last one in there. <laughs> Be a woman chaser? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so you just heard from Ellis Hart, who's 100, Sylvia Weiss, who's 104, Rose Messina, who's 101, Doris York, 96, Al Milo, who's 89, he's my grandpa, and Walter Matosik, who's 95. (laughs) I got to say, Abigail, I've never heard you um, shout talk to anyone before. (laughs) We'll get to that later. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, what did you you think? What do you think about this advice? 
don't die. Don't die. That was, that was maybe my favorite. (laughs) I think that one has some nice, that like, that has nice, um, relevance to the show. You know, it's kind of just like, keep, just keep going. Don't die. Yeah. You know, it's a secret. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I learned a lot from talking to these folks. Uh, like some, for instance, most people who are 100 have lost their spouse and many of them have also lost at least one of their children. Um, like these people, have children who are like in their seventies. Right. Um, so, which is just kind of like hard tri- to wrap your head around yeah. trippy. <laughs> um, most of them are women uh, and many of them are white and like upper class or, or middle class people, which makes a lot of sense because uh, you, if you think about like healthcare and those kinds of things, like a hundred years ago, there were even more disparities than there are today. So um, that's kind of, part of why that exists. And then weirdly enough, a lot of the people that I found to talk to were also Jewish, but I don't think that that has, I don't think that's like, that's like who was brought to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, it's not like part of the demographics of 100 year olds. Do you know, do generally women live longer? Yeah. Yes. Well, well, we've got that going for us. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And this might not surprise you, but it kind of crept up on me, uh, which is like the least interesting thing that all of these people had to tell me was actually their advice about like living to 100. Like that was actually the (laughs) least interesting thing that any of them had to say to me. Did you go in (laughs) thinking the advice would be the most, most exciting? I think it was just like, that was the, that was my concept. So I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the advice. I'm going to bring the advice back. It's going to be the episode. But then, you know, you heard their advice. It was very nice. Uh, it, it wasn't, it didn't really surprise me what they had to say. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. And so like really the parts of these interviews that did surprise me and the questions that did yield great responses were ones that kind of like dip back into their hundred years of life, you know, their lives as parents, their lives as young people and kids. But I also had a blast talking to these people. Um, Cause I don't know, before this, it wasn't like I was scared to talk to old people, but it's kind of, I don't know, like it was kind of, it just kind of weirded me out to be around old people, especially old people that weren't in my family. I guess it's like, I don't know if it's like a secret, like deep rooted fear of death or something. <laughs> that might be what like a psychologist would tell me. Um, but my grandma, my Oma and my grandpa live in this nursing home and my Oma has been living there for like over three years, like a while. So I've been visiting for that long and to be in this nursing home and to like just see lots of people, some of whom I know don't really have a great understanding of where they are, some of whom just really don't have control over themselves. Like they might be eating and just like making a huge mess or shouting just because something's not 100% right or whatever. Um, Or like just like sort of sadly wheeling their way through this place, not having a lot of people to talk to. It's just sort of can be a... uh, really sad experience to be around that and to know that like these people who at one time were just like me (laughs) are now like in a, in this place that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like that's not a great place for them. I think they are well taken care of, but just their state of life isn't what it used to be. But, uh, I think 
talking with these folks, some of whom I met in person, some of whom I connected with, like, on the phone or on Skype, was really great because, like, a lot of them are old. Not all of them have, like, the same capabilities that they used to, but they all still, I don't know, they all still were connected to a part of themselves that they wanted to share and was fun and interesting for me to hear. And that made me feel good. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing this because this is like one of my biggest fears. Oh, um, no. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like genuinely looking forward to hearing the, the like positive side of this stuff because um, like my great grandmother died of Alzheimer's and um, you know, my, both of my grandmothers had dementia and I like, I worry that that's in my future. Right. And, um, these were all like very vibrant people, um, when they were younger. And so, um, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what tape you, you brought home that is like that giving you like warm feelings yeah. about aging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's some warm feelings and also just like a more nuanced understanding. Okay. All right. When we come back, we are going to hear from one woman who's made it to 100 and who still remembers what she said to a cop on the day she gave birth to her son. Don't go away. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. We're back. And again, we're doing something a little different today. I'm Abigail Keel, the producer of this show, and I'm playing some tape that I've collected of 100-year-olds, especially for Hillary, for our 100th episode. Okay, so Hillary, what I want to do now is share some clips of conversations that I had with two different women who are centenarians. And oh. yeah, um, and I just want to say like 100 is kind of, is old. Um, it, it is. It yeah, is. You, and you, you can just say it. Yeah, one hundred is old. <laughs> um, it's like it's a long time to live. Yes. Yeah. You've witnessed a lot of things, um, and I've talked to a lot of people who have lived a long time. But um, I chose these two women that I'm going to share with you because they had this really impressive ability to like reflect on their own lives. Um, from talking to all these people, I sort of found that it, it's not easy to get old people to talk about their life experiences, like, in detail. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, many of them don't even really have uh, like clear memories of their past. But these two, I don't know. They were different. Uh, they, they, How come? You know, I think they both really like brought to life for me what it must have been like to be alive and be a woman and be a mom um, in, you know, like decades ago. And I don't know, the things they said, they have similarities in their stories. They have some really interesting differences. And I just found myself uh, reflecting and thinking about these conversations in particular. So first, I'm going to introduce you to Constance Rose Messina, and she goes by Rose. Well, I'm 101 101 and four months years old. (laughs) I have to put in that four months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an achievement. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) That four months thing is so funny because it's like um, my daughter is so obsessed with how many months older everybody is Mm -hmm. than each other. And and, um, she's so aware of just like... The, the micro ages. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that once you hit a hundred, <laughs> that stuff starts to matter again. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. So Rose lives in California in like a retirement community. And she has two kids, two grandkids and four great grandkids, some of whom live really close to her in California. But Rose herself was actually born in Italy and she immigrated to the United States with her mother. So how old were you when you left Italy? Six. She and I came alone. I never knew my father. He was a casualty of World War I. So we came from Italy by ourselves to his sister's home in Baltimore. And that's where I grew up. Mom married again. And I had three wonderful brothers (laughs) and a great sister. Did, did your parents teach you anything that you made sure that to pass on to your children? No, dear. No. <laughs> my parents did te- taught me absolutely nothing. Oh, my. They were too busy keeping alive. No. They, they were just busy just, like, get, getting They were busy and... getting through the Depression, yeah. getting just keeping alive and keeping known. Yeah, it's funny because par- parents today seem very involved. Would you agree? They're very involved oh, with their definitely. children. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And it's wonderful that they are. Yes, they are very involved. But also, this is a different time. Did Did your siblings or you have to work to help? Um, help I did. Family? I had yeah. to work. Yes, At, I worked. As yes. a young girl? Yes, I wow. did. I was 14. Oh, wow. I was working in a, um, a factory, in a uh, clothing factory. Wow. Yeah, that's a very different And my era. mother was working also. <laughs> yeah. We were working in the same place. But I imagine it probably wasn't very fun. <laughs> well, it, to be honest, um, I never thought anything about it. Hmm. It was just something you had to do and you did it. Yeah. I never thought of it as being fun or not fun. <laughs> well, it's just something you did because you had to do it. So this kind of cracks me up. Just like, I don't know. You can tell that I'm a little naive. I'm talking to her because I'm like, wow, that sounds like it's not fun to work in a factory. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, 
nobody said anything about fun, but, uh, but I think what she said about her parents, like not really having time to be parents is kind of interesting because like her whole generation grew up that way. Like everyone I talked to grew up during the great depression and like life was a lot different. Uh, but today, I don't know, like today parents are sort of struggling to be working parents and to still be so involved in their kids' lives. I don't, it just was like kind of an interesting shift. That is interesting. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are still those people who um, are just struggling to get by in that same way. Um, but in the depression, that was much more common. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk to, um, especially the women that I spoke with about, was um, their experiences giving birth. And Rose gave birth to her first son in 1941. She and her husband had just moved into a new house in Baltimore. 2316 Gibbons Avenue. <laughs> and I started getting pains, and, and I didn't want to go to the hospital because I was too busy doing other things. <laughs> and I kept saying, no, no, I, I can't go yet. And finally, the water broke, and, it, and finally I said, oh, I've got to go. So my husband called a cab, and we got in the cab, and I, and I kept saying, hurry up, hurry up, get, <laughs> get going. And uh, we were stopped by a policeman, and I said to the policeman, Get me to the hospital first and then give him a ticket. <laughs> when I think of it, I have to laugh. That's funny. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I remember my first shot. And were you, um, I, I've spoken with a few other women who are also 100 or older, and they all said that um, they were uh, under anesthesia when they gave birth. Was that? What you? What happened for you? No, no, I had a normal birth. I don't remember. I guess maybe they gave me something. Yeah. Because they must have given me something because I remember pains, but then I don't remember much. They must have given me something. Was your husband in the room with you or was he in a waiting oh, room? Oh, no, 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 no. He wasn't in the room. He was outside. Yeah. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. I didn't care to tell you the truth. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so since I did this interview with Rose, I did look up a little bit about birth in the 1940s. And what was actually really common was something called twilight sleep. Have you ever heard of this? I have. Yeah. Explain it. So basically, twilight sleep is a drug cocktail. And uh they would give it to women for birth and basically it would kind of, it would like, they were still awake. They were still experiencing pain, but they would have no memories of the pain. So wait, I'm confused. That, so you, you would be in a lot of pain, but then you wouldn't remember it? Right. You were like weirdly awake and sleeping at the same time. Like that's why they called it twilight sleep because you were like awake and there was pain being experienced, but like this drug would just make you forget <laughs> that you felt you were that like, way. You were like blackout drunk or something. <laughs> Actually, that's a good analogy. Uh, yeah, yep. Uh, so that was like one thing. I don't. I'm not. I don't know if that's what um, what Rose had, but uh, they also had uh, different kinds of spinal anesthesia available in that time period as well. It wasn't epidurals; those didn't come around until like the 80s is when they really became popular. But um, yeah, but Rose, she had two children. That was her birth of her first child, but she had two. Um, so I asked Rose why her and her husband only wanted two kids. 
because I'd had to, I'd had so many kids around me when I was young. Mm. Every time my mother had a baby, I had to stay home from school and take care of the baby. Now, mom had four, and I was the only kid. I was only seven years old when my mother had her first child with her second husband. Mm-hmm. And that man took that baby and put him in his arms, and he said, here, you take care of her. Mm-hmm. I took care of them. I sent, brought him to school. I helped him with their homework. I did everything that needed. I, you know, they were my kids. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of it. I told my husband when I met him, and we were going to get married. I said, I don't want any children. I've had him with kids. Why did you decide to have kids after all? Well, after a while, honey, you, it's natural, I guess. Yeah. I decided I wanted children. Yes, I decided. <laughs> but I didn't want many. I just wanted two. Yeah. When I had two, I said, that's enough, baby. There, You know, I think, well... It's it's not unusual today for women to ne- to never have children. Would it have been unusual in your generation to not have any children? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I I really think so. I only met one woman in my lifetime and she never wanted any children. And I thought that was the strangest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but she didn't want any children. She didn't have any children. Yeah. And she was perfectly happy. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, that was okay. Yeah. was her choice. That sounds um, very forward-thinking of her with the being um, accepting of her friend who didn't have any kids or didn't want any kids. Um, that is something that's even hard now for women. You know, you and I have, have talked to plenty of women who um, – don't want to have children and feel like they're stigmatized mm-hmm. for it. And um, like good on Rose for I for know. being um, supportive. Yeah, I know. Well, it seems like she kind of could uh, understand like where that choice would come from. Mm-hmm. So I I talked to Rose about a lot about a lot about her life, but I did want to ask her a little bit of stuff that like had to do with being a hundred and like her century of of life. Is there an invention from the last century, like your whole lifetime, uh, that really changed your life? Oh, I think it's the internet. Oh, wow. I think it, I think it's marvelous to be able to go on the computer and to um, to want to, to go on the internet and find just about anything you want to find. Yeah. Do you feel like there are any um, misconceptions people have about one hundred and one year olds? Oh, yes, they have a lot of misconceptions. When you're a 100, you're talking on the phone, and they ask how old you are for some reason. You know, Mm -hmm. perhaps it's a good reason. And you tell them. All of a sudden, they seem to think they have to talk louder because you can't hear. (laughs) I mean, you shouldn't be able to hear if you're 100 years old. Got to be, so they have to yell. Another thing they feel like they have to explain more to you, Mm. you know, make it more because you really don't understand it all. Mm. In other words, they feel like you're losing it, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Baby, you're losing it. (laughs) Doesn't seem like you've lost much. (laughs) Well, 
I'm going to put you what I tell everybody else. Today I'm okay. Mm. Tomorrow I don't know. I really thought she was going to say her favorite invention was the pill. I know, right? Yeah. I know. You would think that as somebody who really wanted to control her fertility, like, she'd be into it. But I thought it was, I mean, I think it's awesome that she likes the internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll hear a little bit more about birth control uh, with our next person. So, okay, great. It'll be fun. Okay. When we come back, we will meet another 100-plus-year-old, and she does something I just didn't see coming. Stay with us. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We're back, and I'm Abigail Keel in the studio with Hillary Frank. Okay, so Hillary, I'm going to introduce you to this next woman, and this woman's name is Rosalie, which might be a little confusing because the woman we just heard from is Rose, but this one's Rosalie. Rosalie. Okay, got it. All right. And even though these two ladies, like, grew up in different cities and one was an immigrant, one wasn't, one was a stay-at-home mom, one was a working mom, like, their lives have some similarities, too. And uh, I don't know. I think maybe that is just a sign of, like, the times and their generation and what being a parent uh, was like then. But here is how Rosalie started our conversation. Hello. What would you like to know about me? And you can hear, this isn't as great of audio quality. I, uh, Rosalie and I talked over the phone, so that's why it's not as great sound quality. But, you know, when like when you have the chance to talk to a 100-year-old, you just kind of take it and you let the sound quality, you let that go. <laughs> so we're going to hear a little bit more. All right, my name is Rosalie Williams, so I'm about 106 months old. <laughs> Love it. And uh, where do you live? I live in uh, Hallandale, in uh, Hallandale, Florida. And and did you grow up in Hallandale, or are you from there? Oh, no. I was born in Manhattan, in New York City, uh, in, a, uh, in what they call the tenements, a cold water flat. Uh, my parents are, were immigrants, and... Uh, and it was a happy family, but a poor family. Oh, okay. And and now I want to know a little bit about, about you and your family. So how many kids do you have? I have one son, that's all. Oh. And uh, he's now 73, 73 years old. So he has one child, and she has one child. <sighs> so we're a very small family. 
Yeah. I had only one child because of finances. My son was born just before World War II and when uh, finances were very difficult. It was just starting to get over the Great Depression. Right. I got married during the height of the Depression in 1936. And uh, my son was born in 1943. And my husband was called into service when my son was just a year old. So we didn't get a chance to get started with our life, with our... uh, with our careers and our finances were very poor. So that's why we ended up with just one child. Right, right. And and if you don't mind me asking, how did you guys um, keep from having another child? Did you, like, keep track of your fertility? or? I went, well, I don't know whether you remember Margaret Sanger. Uh-huh. Remember Margaret Sanger? Yeah. Yes, and I went to her and she gave me a, uh, a, a diaphragm, and I used the diaphragm to make sure I didn't become pregnant. So that is crazy to me. If uh, if our listeners don't know, Margaret Sanger is um, one of the founders of the organization that eventually became Planned Parenthood. And before that, she ran a clinic in New York where uh, it was one of the first places that women could get birth control in the United States. And I just think it's kind of cool that Rosalie is, like, intertwined with, like, history, basically. It's That's cool. amazing. Yeah. Got the diaphragm from Margaret Sanger. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, this is interesting, too. Going Like, you were saying you thought um, Rose would have said the birth control pill was her favorite invention. And I asked Rosalie that question, too, and she also did not say birth control. Um, but when you think about it, like, the pill didn't really come around until, like, 1960. These women were, like, having children in the 40s. Right. So, like, they were kind of older by the time that the pill even existed, you know? That's right. So, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, I I feel sort of a connection to Rosalie, too, because my grandparents grew up in tenements in New York City. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Maybe they knew each other. They might have. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, it's that's really cool. <clears throat> um, so I also asked Rosalie about her birth experience, and she had a pretty different uh, memory than Rose did. In those days, it was awful. Oh. Um, first of all, your husband was never with you. Second of all, uh, I was uh, twenty-seven when I gave birth, and the doctor said. You're so old to have the first child. Mm. And so he says, he's going to this. There was something new that went out in the market then. It was called a a spinal. And he said, I'm going to give you a spinal so you won't be under, which is better for the baby. So I, he tried, he himself told me he tried 15 times and couldn't get the needle where it belonged to be. And, and in the meantime, I was screaming <laughs> my head off. I was in great pain, and I finally, they finally put me under, and I had the baby. And uh, it was in a col- and it was in a um, hospital that was so overcrowded at that time, and it was not well taken care of. 
So I don't think it was a, a good experience for me. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, and maybe that helped me decide to want child's enough, but I don't think so. If we had had the money, it would have. I'm sure I would have tried for another one. I see. When I raised my son, we had diaper service. That oh. was the one advantage. Uh, I did not have a washer dryer in those days. It was just coming out, and I couldn't afford one. So I had to do all the the uh, washing and the wringing of the clothes, and uh, and uh, and hanging them up in the uh, in the backyard, you know. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, it was a much more difficult time to uh, run a household and raise a family. Diaper service. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's something I've never even thought about. That's kind of amazing. I know. I mean, I think I'd rather have a washer and dryer, but that's... I, I never thought about that. Um, yeah, no, when I asked, I asked uh, Rosalie her what her favorite invention of the century was, and she had a couple, but one of them was the washer and dryer. Because mm. she said it just really revolutionized life specifically for women and, like, moms, because, like, no longer did your whole day have to be doing laundry because it would take, like, so much time. Also, I'm just noticing the thing that these two women have both said about husbands not being around and so you don't have your emotional support. Mm -hmm. But also just even the use of the word husband feels outdated now, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, now we say partner and uh, and there's plenty of women who have children who are not partnered Mm -hmm. and you have like – you have your like birth – support person. Right. Right. And Who could be um, anyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting to just remember that it used to be like it was the husband. Right. Right. Yes. And he was not in the room. And he was not in the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rosalie had like a few different jobs. She was a teacher and a couple other things. Uh, but one of her jobs was that she was a professional singer. And she actually was uh, still singing professionally until she was 81 years old. Wow, I know. And uh, she told me that she stopped at 81 because she was getting tired of having to, like, get dressed up and put on makeup and, like, be this performer. And she just wanted to be able to relax. And she said, like, have a retirement feeling. So that's why she quit. Um, But she did tell me about a song that was important to her and her family. And she sang it at her son's wedding. And then she sang it again at her granddaughter's wedding. And her granddaughter is a listener who helped connect her to us. Um, here's a little bit about that. I'm wondering, do you do you still know the words to this song? Would you sing a little for me um, over the phone? No. No. Because I do not sound well anymore. I have, I, I still have pitch, but I cannot do it the way I want to. And I have a certain amount of pride in the way I remembered how I sang and I don't think it's it does me any justice to for me to sing now. I totally me, under, I understand. You want me to try it, and you'll see it. Yeah, sure. Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy I play? Okay, I'm going to stop it there because she says that she has this, you know, she has like some pride about her voice, and I I feel like she would not be happy with me for playing that on the radio, but. Um, I do think she would be okay with me playing this recording from 1975. 
So that's Rosalie singing Sunrise Sunset from Fiddler on the Roof. And this is a studio recording of her singing in 1975. And we're just going to skip ahead a little bit to the end of the song where it gets really good. It sounded beautiful, Rosalie. You're, huh. you, you have Thanks. a lot of um, uh, emotion and feeling in your voice still. Oh, yes, that I do. Beautiful. Um, oh, it was amazing. It's amazing to hear a person how a, how a person's voice changes. I know. Yeah. Honestly, and, you know, I was, like, so excited when, <laughs> when uh, she told me about this song and, like, her granddaughter sent me this recording because, like, it's very on theme, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the right. content of this song is perfect. So I asked Rosalie in our conversation a little bit about what it's like to live to 100. And, you know, she told me about her favorite inventions. I told you the washer dryer. She also said she liked the car and the radio. So those are good choices. And then I also asked her if um, she felt like there were any misconceptions about being 100. Well, Many people ask me that question. How do you like being 100 years old? Isn't it wonderful? Congratulations, you know, and all that. Well, I thought when you're 100 years old, if you made that, it should be wonderful to be able to see a great-grandchild and see your, your, your family successful and enjoy. I, I love my my apartment here with a, with a patio facing the intercoastal waterway. And uh, it's just beautiful here. So I feel fortunate that I'm in a good environment. However, physically, when I'm financially comfortable, physically, I am not happy at all. Mm. I... Uh, I have trouble with my digestion, so I don't enjoy food at all. You lose your taste, so what used to taste good doesn't taste like anything anymore. Uh, You have uh, my eyesight is very poor so that I can't read, which is my favorite. I have trouble seeing television now. I'm even having trouble seeing faces. And as I say, my hearing is poor. I used to weigh 128 pounds. I now weigh 94 pounds. So I lost a lot of weight, and with that, a lot of strength. Mm. I ask you, with all that, 
Is it so exciting being 100 years old? Ugh, Abigail, you're killing me. I feel like I need to eat as much tasty food and watch as much TV as I possibly can. (laughs) I know you got to soak it in. (laughs) No, I honestly, like, I just, I was kind of surprised that, like, Rosalie, like, went there, I guess, with me. Because I feel like she gave me, like, a very honest and serious answer. And I really appreciated that because I think, you know, Rosalie is, like, bringing up a side of things that is really hard to deal with. Um, and I think she's lucky to be mentally aware enough to to even understand that this is, like, the unglamorous side. It sounds to me like uh, the end of life is also the longest, shortest time. <sighs> wow. Yeah. I guess we have to have a spinoff show now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to ask you, now that you have, quote, unquote, made it to 100, yeah. <laughs> what's your advice? Hmm. Um, try to make a mark. Don't just put out 100 things that don't matter. <laughs> you, know, you know, not everything's going to... Uh, live up to your very highest standards when you're making a hundred of something, but you can at least with each thing try to make it matter in some way. That's good advice. <laughs> hey, Abigail, thanks for doing the episode today. Ah, I had so much fun. Yay. Um, is it cool if I do the outro? Oh, yeah, go for it. But uh, actually, first, I want to play you a last little bit of tape. So this is uh, some stuff I think you can look forward to about getting older. (laughs) I asked the folks at my Oma's nursing home what they like to do for fun. Bingo. Oh, I go every day I can. And I never win. I never win, but I like to go. Thank you so much to all of the 100-year-olds and almost 100-year-olds and over 100-year-olds that helped us to make this episode. I'm an artist. I, I paint and draw, and I, I have I have uh, blind in one eye. Doctors said don't do too much. It's hard on your good eye. Don't you guys think we should be talking to some more old folks? I know you've got some stories to share about the almost centenarians in your life, or maybe you're like me and you are just terrified of getting that old. So go to our website and tell us all about it. That's longestshortesttime.com and leave a comment on the post for this episode, which, of course, is episode 100. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. Thanks, Abigail. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Special thanks this week to the staff and residents at Alexian Brothers Lansdowne Village in St. Louis. We sing. Sometimes we move our legs to the music. Next week, we'll be back with a brand new episode. We're just a couple weeks out from the presidential election here in the United States. And, you know, there's been a lot to sort through for me, for you, for our kids. And they especially have got a lot of questions. How much of a chance is there for a libertarian candidate to win? Whoa, didn't expect that. (laughs) 
We are bringing your kids' questions to comedians W. Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu from the podcast Politically Reactive, and we're going to get some answers and also just some pure bafflement. Don't miss this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and get the show early by subscribing to our newsletter. It's easy. Just go to our website, longestshortesttime.com and enter your email in the little box there on the homepage. And you guys, it is October, which means it's almost Halloween and we want to see some costumes. We want to see costumes you wore when you were a kid, costumes your kids are wearing now. Post a photo to Twitter or Instagram by November 1st and use the hashtag LSTHalloween to enter our costume contest. Our favorite costumes will win some Longest Shortest Time swag. That's the hashtag LSTHalloween on Twitter or Instagram. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. It can be any surprising story about your parents or about your kids. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story. Play cards. (laughs) Do you win? Oh, once in a while. Not often enough. Rana Glickman here from Rana and Beverly to tell you this is your big chance to see Rana and Beverly live with some of your favorite podcasts also performing. Comedy Bang Bang, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, Spontanea Nation with Paul F., who we adore, and Law. The Now Hear This Podcast Festival is October 28th to the 30th in sunny Anaheim, California. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. See all your favorite acts live. Go to nowhearthisfest.com to get your tickets, plus information on hotels and travel. Why not stay for the weekend? Stand up. You sing your wolf? Yeah. <laughs> This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.